Um, and yesterday, I want to tell you about a wedding that I got to officiate, a wedding I got to do. I got to do a wedding at the Biltmore, right? Put your eyebrows down, because let me tell you something. <laughs> I didn't get to do it, like, in the house. It was, it was uh, out, uh, it was an outside wedding yesterday at four. Yeah, what, what do you remember about yesterday at four? <laughs> right, rain. So they had this tent set up for the people that were there, and it was a really small wedding. There was, like, less than 20 people there, and, and it was really sweet and really, really great. They were under the wedding. Me and the bride and groom were under a tree about 15 feet away from the tent. That's what they had this little thing set up for us. It was great. But y'all, let me tell you what happened. Um, so I get there about, uh, a little, you know, three-something I get there, and, and I'm standing up on this hill. It's this hill right over by the hotel that you overlook and see Antler Hill Village and, and the fields down there and the mountains. It's this incredible view. As I'm looking, I also see the rain coming. Like, literally, I can see it get darker gray, darker gray, darker gray, and approaching. And, and it wasn't like rain, rain. It was that, like, deep mist you know like like just that slow coating mist and so it kept coming and coming and coming wedding was supposed to start at four at four o'clock it is just on us bride was a little bit late that's fine because it was a smaller group and we're like be flexible take your time it's all right here she comes her her groom is standing right next to me we're under this tree it's raining literally she starts walking up with this clear umbrella her and her dad walk through the tent and by the time she gets to the tent the rain stops so she gets to put her umbrella down. We get to have this ceremony standing outside. It's still overcast, which, by the way, is great for photography, apparently. But it's still overcast. But the rain stopped. We got to do this ceremony, cut cake. We had a blast. And when the photographer and I left at the same time, we're walking through the parking lot back to our cars, and it starts raining again. Weddings are fun, and I think God pays particular attention to when people join together in a covenant relationship. And that is just one of the, the, the things that may or may not happen, is that stuff like that happens. Weddings are fun, and we are going to see a fun wedding today. Now, not all weddings are fun. I'm going to tell you about one that wasn't fun. But most weddings are a whole lot of fun, and that's what we're going to see today. Because what we're going to see is we're going to see our couple. We've seen them date. We've seen them, we've seen them be attractive. We've seen them date. We've seen them uh, be engaged. And today we're going to see this wedding, and we're going to see extravagance, and we're going to see opulence because, you know, he is a king, so that's a big deal. But we're also going to see love between these two people. And, and what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to just listen to these verses and think that, one, it's about them, not about us, and two, that it's just about people that are getting married, not people who are married or people who, who won't get married. But what we're going to see today is we're going to see this incredible wedding, an incredible love story, and we're going to see things that, are, that are, are good for them and good for us. But what we're also going to see is this universal truth that's good for all of us. No matter where you are on the relationship status, you're going to walk out of here today with truth that is, is good for you and your walk with the Lord. Because what we're going to see today is this, and I'm going to unpack it as we go, but you're going to see this, that you are free to love because you have been freely loved. You are free to love because you have been freely loved. And here's what I mean by that. 
A lot of times in relationships, people think that, that it's between, it's, it's a relationship like this. I give them, they give me, I serve them, they serve me. It is this relationship like this. What we are going to see today is that relationships like this only work when the relationship here is working. And so it's not about this between back and forth. It's about how God loves me affects how I love other people. And so it's about this overflowing into that. Not about this, because that's what we're going to see here. Now, um, if, if you were Jewish about 2,000 plus years ago, and you're a young man, you would have read the book of Proverbs, and your parents would have shown you the book of Proverbs. They would have read them to you. You might have been asked to memorize the book of Proverbs, because in Proverbs, it's the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. And if you were Jewish, growing up in a Jewish home thousands of years ago, your parents would want you to be a wise person. If you were a young woman growing up in a Jewish home, they would have had you read, possibly memorize, but know the book of Ruth. Because in Ruth, you see what faith looks like. And, and, and your parents would want you to be a woman of faith. But you also see what hard work looks like. And so you see how faith affects your work life and, and, your, and your ethics. You, if you were a young woman, you would also be allowed to read Song of Solomon. And I say allowed because tradition holds that young men weren't allowed to read Song of Solomon until right before they got married. But young women were allowed to read it earlier because your parents would want you to know what faith looks like in the world of passion. Because your parents would want you as a young woman to know that, number one, it's okay to be passionate for the guy that God brings into your life. That there are boundaries with that and there are ways to do that. And that faith doesn't have a door closed on it. That faith, literally every area of your life is an open door to faith. And what we're going to see this week and what we're going to see in particular next week, well, not next week, next week is Serve Asheville. The week after that is it's going to get really spicy and we're going to see faith, how faith works literally behind closed doors, right? Because what comes after a wedding? Honey, see, y'all got this. First service said reception. <laughs> and while that's true... The answer I'm looking for is the honeymoon. So today we get to see the wedding. Next week we have Serve Asheville. The week after that we're going to see the honeymoon. And we're going to see how faith plays into a sexual life between a husband and a wife. But today we're going to see what their faith has enabled them to do with, 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 with loving. Because what we're going to see is that we're going to see this man, this, this groom, love his bride. And because he loved her, she's able to love him. Because, because he's bold in his love, she's able to love boldly. Because he is extravagant in his love, she's able to be extravagant in her love. Because he's free in, in his love for her, she's able to be free in his love to her. And what we're going to see is a picture between them that actually shows us a picture of our faith. And so join us. We're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. If you need a Bible, there's some uh, in front of you, or you, if you're on the front row, just reach behind you and grab a Bible. It's on page 456 um, in uh, those Bibles. You can also download the Bible app, and we're there under events and under Fellowship Asheville. And as you're turning there, uh, we're calling this series, It's Not Complicated, instead of Song of Solomon, uh, because here's what I want us to all understand, is that, is that, relationships, although they may be difficult, although they may not be easy, if relationships are done God's way, they're not complicated. 
If boundaries are appropriate boundaries and they're set in place, it's not complicated. And so that's why we're calling this series It's Not Complicated, because Facebook has this status. Have y'all seen this? Where it's a relationship status and it says it's complicated? Like, I get it, but it doesn't have to be. It can actually be not complicated. We've seen this couple uh, be attracted to one another, and we see what attraction looks like when it's not complicated, that, that their attraction isn't based on looks or power or title, um, but that their attraction is based on identity, an identity based in godly wisdom. Their, 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 attra- their attraction was based on, on godly character that they saw in each other. We saw them date, and when they were dating, we saw that words have what? You remember? Power. Words have power. And then we saw them be engaged, and we saw that relationships do take work, but that work is based on the work of Christ. When these things are followed, like I said, relationships may not be easy. They may be very difficult, but they're not complicated. Well, today we're going to see this couple get married, and let's watch what we can learn from them. Look at at chapter 3, verse 6. It says, she said, this is, is the woman speaking. She says, what is that coming from the wilderness like columns of smoke? Now, now remember, this is a, a poetry. This is a song. That's why it's called Song of Solomon. Some of your translations may call it Song of Songs because it is considered the ultimate song, the ultimate love song. And so, so since it's poetry, sometimes things are said in a poetic way, which means you're supposed to feel it. You're supposed to picture it. It's art. And, and, and this is the bride looking, and she sees her groom coming. Because in Jewish tradition, uh, once you were engaged or betrothed is the word, just like Joseph and Mary in the New Testament says they were betrothed, it means that you are an item, right? In many ways, you're considered married. But what the husband would do, the groom would do, is he would leave the bride at the home with her parents, and he would go and prepare a place, prepare a home for the bride, for them to start their new family. And when that was ready, he would show up, oftentimes unannounced, to get his bride and bring her to the house. Because at the house is where there's a party and where there's a celebration. And so we see her looking for him to come. She is waiting for him to come get her and to be married. And suddenly she sees him. She's waiting and she's watching. And what Solomon is going to show us in prophetic and and poetic form is this, is that good relationships are led by God. Good relationships are led by God because what does she say his arrival is like? She says, what is that coming up from the wilderness like what? Columns of smoke. Now, it could be that because he has this entourage, which we're going to be introduced to in a little bit, because he has this entourage, it's blowing up dust. But remember, this is poetry. What does the phrase column of smoke remind you of? Israel, right? Right, like like God led the nation of Israel by a pillar of fire by night so they could see and by a column of smoke by day so they knew where to go and to follow. And so, so this picture of him coming isn't just that he has this entourage. It is the way God led Israel through the desert to the promised land. He is coming because she is his promised land, and God is leading them, God is leading him to her. Now, when Stacy and I dated, I, I shared a little bit about that story last week. Uh, to, sum, uh, to, sum, uh, to, sum, to summarize the story, she didn't want to date me. Well, here's what's crazy. 
She said yes to going out with me, but she didn't want to go any deeper than that. So apparently I'm really fun, but just not great enough to commit to. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I knew that, that I wanted a relationship that was led by God, not by me or by her. And so I asked her out. She said yes. Uh, I asked her out again. She said yes. I asked her out again. She said yes. All the time, I'm a missionary traveling overseas starting churches. And what would happen is typically uh, this would be older women that would say this to me because they had a young daughter. And they would ask me, are you single? Right? Because they wanted to marry off their daughter to me and have me bring them back to the States is the way that typically worked. I would say, well, yes, I am, but... There's this girl. Her name is Stacy. And I am really interested in her. And I think we would actually be a great match. So would you pray for her by name? So they said yes. And so I had these people literally in five different continents praying for her by name while we dated. And so we had this DTR. And I again told her what my feelings for her were, and and she said, honestly, and I so appreciate it, she said, hey, I just want you to know my heart's not there. But because I was in prayer, because I had these people around me, I got to honestly say, listen, I don't want you to give me your heart. I want to win your heart. Let's take our time. And so when she walked down the aisle to marry me, I knew that our relationship was based on prayer. And that God led her to me. Because there was a day when she told me, my heart is yours. And it changed for us. And then we were married like less than three months after that. (laughs) I didn't want her to change her mind. (laughs) But our relationship, I believe, was led by God. Look at the rest of verse 6. It says, what is that coming from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Again, It's about smell with this couple, isn't it? Every time they've gotten together, there's been a smell in the room, right? It's hers or his. And here he's bringing these, these fragrances. And these fragrances, what's interesting, is they're not common in the land of Israel. They're, they're usually bought front, brought, brought to Israel from afar, which is why some of these you recognize, don't you? Myrrh and frankincense, because it's what the wise men brought when they worshiped Jesus, because in the, in the temple, this frankincense in particular was used for worship. But it wasn't from the land of Israel. It was brought from somewhere else. And so not only does, does that smell remind them of worship, this is the special stuff that they brought out for this occasion. Right? This isn't your grandmother's potpourri that's been there for years. Right? This is the good stuff. This is that bottle of perfume that's really small that you only use for special occasions. It's that. That's what this smells like. It is, it, is, it is something to be celebrated. You see, this couple had done this whole relationship thing right so far, and, and, and it was worthy of celebration. I've been to a wedding once that wasn't worthy of celebration. It was actually awful. It had all the, all the parts of a good wedding. There was, there was somebody doing the wedding. Uh, you know, there was an officiant. There was a couple. Uh, there were people there. There was a reception afterwards. There were gifts. I mean, it was everything that you would expect at a wedding, except when the groom came down the aisle, you know, the, 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 he came down first, and then the bride was going to come down afterwards. He was mocking the entire thing. 
I'd never seen anything like it before. He had a flower that he was supposed to give the bride's mother. And like he came down with it in his mouth and he was doing like this little dancing jig thing as this music was coming down. Instead of giving it to her, he played around with it before he gave, her, gave it to her. And, and even during their ceremony, he was just kind of mocking it. And it was so bad that when Stacy and I left, because this was one of, her, one of her friends that was getting married, the, the, the bride was, when Stacy and I got in the car to leave, she burst out into tears because she was so sad for this woman. What was supposed to be a celebration, I mean, we mourned on the way home. Now, those are rare, hopefully. Most weddings are a time to celebrate. They're a time to, to, to celebrate a couple that's pursued God in their relationship and, and in joining together, man. You're, you're just so excited about what God's going to do in and through this couple and, Lord willing, the kids that are going to come into their home and the people that they're going to disciple and, and the impact that they're going to make. Like, but like most weddings are fun like that and they're fun to go to. And that's what we're seeing here is that good relationships celebrate a commitment to God. And that's what this couple is doing. There is a deep commitment to God, and it is a party. Look at verse 7. It says, Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. And that word uh, litter, which, which it, it stands for like this entourage that they were carrying the king, and, and he's coming. But notice, notice the men that are around him, that this relationship isn't in isolation. Solomon has 60 people, 60 men accompanying him. And these aren't just men. These are mighty men. These are, these are leaders. These are people that if they were in this church, you would follow them. They would be your growth group leaders. They would be your lead servants. Like these are people that you would look up to and respect. They would be, they would be your elders. And Solomon had 60 of them. And these men are, are not just lifting Solomon up and carrying him. They are coming with him to, this, to pick up his bride because they support this relationship. They are all in. And so not only is a good relationship led by God and a reason to celebrate, but, but a good relationship has the support of others around them. And here's what I love to see. Yeah, I love to see a young couple that when they start getting attracted to each other and they, and, 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 and they start kind of figuring out, is this a person I want to date? What I love to see is I love to see them talk to their friends. Now, you have to be careful with this one because loose lips sink ships, right? And so, so you don't want to, you, you got to be friends that you can trust. But, but I love it when, 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 when they will reach out to their friends and be like, hey, what do you think about her? What do you think about him? Do you think, do you think we'd be good together? Like, do you think this could, this could actually work? And that the friends that know you and the friends that, that know them really begin to speak into this. Let me tell you what I don't like to see. I don't like to see two people that are interested in each other do this. Hey, let's start praying together and see what God would do. Right? Now, listen, I know I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to tell you to pray, right? Right? But pray with your friends, not with each other. Because in this stage, when you're dating, when you're engaged, when you're, when you're attracted to someone, prayer is a lot like sex. It is intimate and it is vulnerable, and even though it may seem like a really good idea, it may make the relationship feel a whole lot better than it is. This couple had powerful, godly people surrounding them saying, yes, we love them, we, we love this, 
they invited those friends into this process. I have a, a dear friend named Joe, and Joe fell in love with this girl named Jennifer, and Joe did what we see this couple do. He had a group of friends, she had a group of, of lady friends, and, and Joe asked us, I was one of the guy friends that, that was in his circle, he's like, okay, what do you think about Jennifer? And it's one of those things where like, we have been waiting for you to ask this question, man. Like, yes, yes, she's great, you're great, y'all have many of the same interests. Her pursuit of Jesus is fantastic. Your pursuit of Jesus is fantastic. Run together. Which, by the way, that's often what makes a great couple is when when a single person is running after Jesus and they look to their left and right and look to see who else is running after Jesus at the same pace and then they keep going and look to see who's still running after Jesus at the same pace and then choose from that group like that was Joe and Jennifer and she had her people and we had Joe had us and we were asking him tough questions as they dated and and he was asking us questions and then eventually they got engaged And Joe wanted to do something that I thought was incredibly risky because what he wanted is he wanted a surprise engagement party. Like the moment she said yes, he wanted the doors to swing open and a party be there. So we said, okay. We were 99.9% sure she was going to say yes. But, you know, you never know in those situations, do you? And so, so we were uh, at, this, at this like hall type place and, and he had this, this table set up for this exquisite dinner that he had prepared for just the two of them and candlelight and all this stuff. And, and, and so she showed up and like literally it's like a room this size with one table in the middle. And they sat down, they had dinner. We are all in the kitchen. Like I'm literally watching through the crack in the door like, like, I'm the one that's telling them, like, either go or go home, one or the other. Like, like, like but stay quiet. And so we're watching. And, man, he took his time. It was so frustrating. But, 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 but we're watching, and, and finally he gets down on his knee, and he asks her. And she starts crying, and she says yes. And the doors to the kitchen swing open, and this party comes out to celebrate them and to celebrate their engagement. And it was fun. And it was great because she had her people that had invested in this relationship. He had his people, and they were ready to celebrate them. And so good relationships are like this. Good relationships are celebrated by godly people, right? That the godly people around you go, yes. Well, look at what else we see in these men. So so these mighty men are coming. In verse 8, it says, all of them wearing swords, an expert in war each with his sword at his thigh against, the, against terror by night. And so these men weren't only supportive, they were also protective. This woman was safe with this man, and he wasn't going to hurt her, or he, and he wasn't going to let anybody else hurt her. Now, man, I want to stop here for just a minute, and I want to ask you a question. And I say men, this really does apply to men and women nowadays. Because it doesn't matter if you're single or married, but particularly to the man, I want to ask this. Is the safest place for your wife or your girlfriend to be, is the safest place for her to be is in your presence? Now, I want to be clear that I say presence. I had a single guy come up to me years ago when I taught this, and he goes, Fred, I was at home with my girlfriend, and we were cuddling on the couch, and I remember the words you said, that the safest place for her to be is in my arms. No, I'm not saying in your arms, I'm saying in your presence, right? Like, like this is the safest place for your wife or girlfriend to be is in your presence. Is there fear when she's near you? Now, maybe you won't hit her, but do you demean her? Will you cut her with your words? 
And I don't mean like an occasional hurtful word. That happens in relationships. But I mean those relationships that are marked by hurt. Those relationships that are marked by rejection. And, 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 and if so, listen, I say this honestly, and I say this with all the love of Jesus. If this describes your relationship, whether it's the man who does this to the woman or the woman who does this to the man, I say this with all honesty and love. Like, if this describes you, there is something deeply wrong with you. Relationships aren't marked by fear. Godly relationships aren't marked by rejection and hurtful words. They are marked by love. And I have hope because we have a Savior. And he will heal those deep, broken places. Even if the relationship is damaged, even if it's damaged beyond repair, he can heal you. And so if you are this way, please come see me and let's get you help. Because you need it, and we have a Jesus who can supply it. So if you need that kind of help, come up and talk to me. Now, what that means is that every guy who, or every woman who comes up to talk to me after the service doesn't have to be this person, right? Because I know some of you are sitting there going, oh, I had to ask a question to Fred. After I'll just wait, right? I'll just wait. I'll just wait. Uh, that's okay. Like, 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 if it's you, email me, talk to me, like, like. Connect with me. It doesn't have to be right after the service, but, but connect with me. I really do want you to get some help because this woman, when she looked at her approaching groom, she saw protection, right? And that's what your wife or girlfriend, that's what your spouse needs to see in you is protection. Now, in our house, protecting Stacy is, is kind of fun because she hates to make, like, random phone calls, like to customer support. She doesn't even like to call and order a pizza. Right? And so one of the ways that I protect her is I make those phone calls. <laughs> right? I'm the one that calls customer support. I'm the one uh, that calls and talks to insurance and all that stuff. Men, when you hear a bump in the night, do you make your wife go see what it is? <laughs> right? I did once and I felt really guilty about it, but, but, but there's that. How about finances? Listen, your wife may make more money than you do. That's okay. But how do you spend money? Do you lead your family in being good stewards with, with the money that you have and tithing with that money and dedicating that money to the Lord? How do you protect your wife? How do you protect your girlfriend? Because see, good relationships are protected by a godly man. Good relationships are protected by a godly man. Well, let's look at what else she sees coming in this entourage. In verse 9, it says, King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver and its, black, and its back of gold and its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Its interior was inlaid with love. You see, here we see this thoughtful man. Now, this carriage, like you might be picturing Cinderella's carriage, right? It's not that. Like literally, imagine like a couch that's carried by people. It's got poles and it's a couch and it's carried. And, and when she sees him approaching with this entourage, she sees this couch that he has made. And she can see the, the, the intricacies of it. And she sees that it's made out of these beautiful materials. But what else she notices is that it was intended and it was inlaid with love. That he made this carriage to show her how much he loves her. He was thoughtful. What's interesting 
Different commentators have talked about the color purple for some reason in this, that, you know, he is a king and, and there is royalty and, 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 and the color purple was an expensive color and so, so it could have been that. But, but this is also poetry, right? And, and the fact that, that, that it's mentioned here makes people wonder, was that her favorite color? Like, did he do that because, because that's what showed love to her? Because here we see him being thoughtful of her. And see, as the carriage was being made, he made it with her in mind. Because as she saw this coach approaching, this couch approaching, she saw a place for him and a place for her. You see, truly great lovers are those who consider the other person above themselves. She was thoughtful of him. You see, those truly great lovers who consider others better than themselves are those who, to the best of their ability, think about what the other person would need or would want or would like. Now, nobody's a mind reader. Don't go home and say, Fred said you're supposed to know what I like, right? Like, nobody can read minds. That's one of our re-engaged premises. You're not a mind reader. But what I do want to encourage you to do is to try and figure out what the other person wants. Maybe, I don't know, ask. That's always a great way to start. Ask what the other person wants and then listen because notice she's observant of his thoughtfulness. She's describing that carriage. She's describing that couch and that, that coach like, like, like as if she made it herself. And we don't even know if she likes the color purple, but I wonder if she did because she noticed it. So church, are you being thoughtful? Are you noticing the thoughtfulness of your spouse? Not judging it, but noticing it because you see good relationships consider the needs and wants of the other. Let's look at this final quality that we're going to see in this relationship today. It says, verse 11, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of, the wed- on the day of his wedding and on the day of his gladness of heart. And so we see that this is the day of their wedding, but we also see that, that he didn't have to give up the crown to marry her. We see this, this parental approval that, that, that his mother placed the crown on his head. And so not only are these mighty men approving of this relationship, not only does he have the support of his peers, he also has the support of his superiors. He has the support of his mother. Listen, I remember the first time I introduced Stacy to my mom. Now, I had had other girlfriends that my mom had met, and she was fine with them. The day she met Stacy, I saw a look in my mother's eyes that I had never seen before. Because when she met Stacy and she saw us interacting together, she knew she had been replaced. Right? She knew that I loved someone now more than I loved her. When I saw that look in her eyes, that's when I went, oh, man, there might be something to this. My mother was in support of this relationship. Stacy's mom, this is hilarious. <clears throat> Stacy and I weren't even dating at the time. We were friends. Um, uh, uh, she was actually dating my roommate, all right? She had this graduation party. We were friends, so I went to the graduation party, and, and I was just there. And her mother told us, we didn't start dating for a couple of years after that. Her mother tells this story of being at this graduation party, seeing her interact with Mark. She got to know me, and she literally prayed, God, why not Fred instead of Mark? So she supported us before we ever even started dating. 
Now, maybe you're vastly different from your parents. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and they aren't. Still, what do they say? I have seen non-believing parents still give wisdom to believing kids. Maybe, though, you can't trust their judgment for whatever reason. That's okay. Whose judgment can you trust that is supportive of you, that's a superior to you, that mentors you, disciples you, that leads your growth group? Who knows you and is further ahead in their walk with God that, that, that you, can, you can lean on and ask them to weigh in that you trust? Ask them because good relationships are approved by godly mentors. Now, I said I want you to walk away today knowing that you are free to love because you are freely loved. And when I looked at this list of stuff that makes up a good relationship, honestly, it seems kind of daunting, doesn't it? Yesterday at this wedding, I have a part that I do in, in weddings where I read the First Corinthians passage about, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no records of wrong. And, and I finish this passage and I always look at the couple and I go, gosh, doesn't this sound beautiful? And they always go, yeah. And I tell them, guess what? It's impossible. Right? Without the love of Jesus in your life, you can't do this. Without knowing and understanding and living in the presence of Jesus in your life, you can't do things like this couple did. You see, this list seems daunting, and, 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 and the question is, how can anybody have this kind of relationship? Well, it's not complicated. You see, she could love him because she was loved that way by him. We don't have to rely on the love of a human, though. We can love the people around us because, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been loved this way. Get, get this, if you are a follower of Jesus, you already have this kind of relationship in your life with Jesus. John, uh, an author of the New Testament, said we love because he first loved us. And in Romans 5.8, it says this. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God's love for you is so deep that 2,000 years ago, he let his son die on a cross and suffer a horrible death just so that he could pay the price for your sin and so that you could have this kind of relationship with God. You see, as a follower of Christ, what is said about this relationship that we see today is already said about you. Jesus has done this for you. And, and, and listen, I said I want you to see this in this couple, but I also want you to understand that these truths are true about you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a list of verses for you. And I want you to just to absorb them because, because it's true. Like this is God's word. It has lasted longer than any of us will ever last. It is eternal. Right? And it is true and you can trust it. And I'm going to read these verses about you so that you can hear the love of God to you because that is what fuels your love of God to others. And what I ask you to do is, if you want, you can write down these references. We're actually going to post them on social media this week too so you can look there. But I want you to listen. I want you to meditate on these verses. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so just like God led this groom to his bride, God leads you to Jesus and has since the very beginning of time. Listen to this, Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Your God rejoices over you. That means that party that we threw for for Joe and Jennifer, God throws that party over you every day. You are celebrated. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me, let me repeat that because that's present tense. Is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Here's what this means. It means that you are supported and protected by the one who sits at the right hand of God. Jesus has gone through it all. And he has you on his mind and heart. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. You are protected. You don't need 60 mighty men around you. You have got an army of God dedicated to you to protect you and to watch over you. God himself does this. John 17. John 17 is this prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. And so he's praying in front of them, and it is this glorious prayer, but at the end he does something. He kind of takes his eyes off his disciples and he looks through history to all of those who will follow in his name. And John 17, 20 says this. He says, I do not ask for these only. So everything he just asked for the disciples, he goes, hey, Father, I don't ask just for them, but but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So get this. It means that Jesus, when he was with his disciples, prayed for you. He had you on his mind as he was teaching these disciples. You are thought about in a specific prayer of Jesus. Now, how much more does he consider you? Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. You see, you, follower of Jesus, 
are approved to God by the work of Jesus. He's made you his chosen race. He's made you his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his possession. You are part of the family. And this is the love that has been extended to you. Every day, it's there. This is our gospel. This is our good news, that the love of God has been freely given to you. It costs God everything. It costs him the death and torture of his son. You get it for free. This is our gospel, and this is his love for you. And because you are freely loved, you can freely love. Now, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, let today be the day that you do that, because this love is available to you. And it is simple as renouncing your own way and accepting Jesus as his way. It is that simple. If you have said yes to Jesus, if, if, if you have said yes to this kind of love, then, then this is what I want you to do. Let this love be your guide in the way you love your spouse and the way you love your, your, you know, the people that are around you. And here's the homework for this week. Every week I've been given homework and, and like compliment your spouse and all this stuff. It's funny, I was talking to a family uh, after the first service and apparently they, well, not apparently, they have three or four, they have three kids. And, but the first one is apparently like a typical firstborn. And she wanted me to know that she's been keeping her parents on task during the week. And she has been reminding them to do the homework uh, all the time. Um, and so I gave her a high five and said, thank you, I can't be there, so I'm so glad that you're doing this, great. Your homework this week, though, is to take these verses that I just went over and meditate on them. Spend, spend one verse a day, write it on an index card, stick it in your car, do it on a screensaver on your phone, whatever you can do to have it in front of you. Think about it, meditate it, realize as a follower of Jesus that love is true for you, and ask Jesus how you can use that love to be expressed into those who are near you. And like I said, we're going to post one a day on social media, so you can see it there and grab it off there if you want, but we'll, we'll post them. All right, are we good? All right, let's try that again. Are we good? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, you loved us before we ever knew about you. And you gave your son for us. And Father, to that we say thank you. And we thank you for the love that was shown to us. And I just ask for us in this congregation, I ask that we learn how to show that love to those who are closest to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.